Okay, from verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Amen. And so in chapter 11, Paul starts to boast officially. And ultimately... He knows that this is something that God doesn't want, and yet he had to boast because of the weakness, because of the immaturity of the Corinthians. And so from the perspective of needing to save their souls, he had to boast. But now in chapter 11, verse 6, up to verse 15, he, started he was boasting, right? And that's what we talked about up to yesterday. And then... And so he's boasting that he does spiritual ministry. And so he started talking about that. And so it seems like he's boasting. And yet when he boasts, he boasts in his weakness. And so remember, weakness, when it comes to Paul, he doesn't have a definition for weaknesses and strength. He doesn't have any weaknesses or strength. But because of the weaknesses that his critics are pointing out, that's what he's talking about. And so he says he'll boast in those weaknesses. And so uh, it's really important what's being spoken of here. And let's see what he is talking about here. And so yesterday, before Paul said these things, the thing that was going through Corinthians was that, was that before he spoke, he would always first express his, his, he would first express his, He would talk about his identity. And so yesterday he talked about how he is what? He talked about how he is a matchmaker, right? A matchmaker bringing the Corinthians to God. And so he had to guarantee the Corinthians' purity. And so. And 
And so Paul's apostolic authority would just become made manifest, not because he wanted it, but because he was just in God, because he's not making it out of his own things, he's not making it out of his own will. No. And so the most difficult thing to Paul, as we'll see in today's text, is that is that am I indignant? Why am I why is he indignant? The reason why he's being indignant is because his spiritual position is that of father, and because this is being attacked, that is what's causing his indignation. And so remember the Corinthians, before God, before uh, God on when he comes, they needed to they he, they have a calling to be the pure bride, and he is calling us to lead them as the pure bride. So so many pastors find it difficult to manifest that kind of power and authority. But it's not, it's not about me making it become manifest, but God manifests it inside of me. And so you should not feel difficulty. But the most important thing to you as your position as a pastor is to be the spirit father. And so when you, spiritual father. And so if you just look at them as members, then your responsibility to them is limited, right? But when you look at them as, your, as, they are your, as you are their father, then that responsibility changes, right? So, you know, like being an apostle is easy. Being a pastor is easy, but being a father, right? Being a father, you can't give up on them because they are your father or because they are your children, right? You can't kick them out because they are your children. And so, actually, many reasons why you can't help but excommunicate them. And so this is Paul's um, realization of his calling, that, that he is a father. And so because he's a father, he can't help but reign. He has to have that dominion. He has to have that authority. Right, and so that's actually the first thing that you need to receive is that you receive that stewardship as being the father, and as that father, there must be that reign. And then your second relationship is that of teacher. Okay, and so the first level will be teacher, second level will be as fellow workers, and that third level is that father. Right, that you need to first acknowledge yourself as that father, and then be acknowledged in your church as that father. And so the development of this relationship is key in your church. And so from the perspective of dominion, this dominion is actually should be the first thing that you confirm. But if you, without that dominion, constantly saying, oh, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, that is your misconception. There is no love outside of dominion. And... That's actually the reason why all the Korean church is so weak because pastors have been taught that is to just love, just love, just love. But love comes out of that dominion. Without that relationship, you cannot become a father. Without that relationship, you cannot be a true teacher. And, and so the saints in your church needs to receive the, the pastor in faith needs to have that faith that that when it comes to the pastor the pastor is not something that I can control the pastor is not something that I can adjust but rather it's something that God will control and God will adjust that's the faith that the saints needs to have 
And so it's not, it's not tyranny of the pastor, but rather reign and dominion of, the, of, of God over that church. And so if that's not the case, then what happens is that the church has this attitude that they are employing the pastor. And so instead of pastors being called to their position, pastors become appointed to their position, right? And so that's actually how many churches work, right? They, they, they find head pastors by, by, by appointing head pastors that they think that they can control or that they think that they can, what's it called, um, manipulate. But remember, the pastor is not employed by the church. The pastor is called to the church. And so the saints acknowledging this is important for that church to truly be blessed. And this needs to be uh, received in your heart. And so, and so when I first started my ministry, it was so hard for me to apply this be, and, and because of, of, of the preconceived notions of what church is. And, and so applying this to the church was, came at great sacrifice. Right? And many people thought that Many people were like, you're so tyrannical, but this isn't tyranny. It is monarchy of the king, right? It is the dominion of the king. And then so uh, really at the first time, uh, so many church members left. In fact, almost all of them left. And the only ones that were left over were the ones who acknowledged this. And then so once that is acknowledged, once that is there, established and set up, that's when the church will move in a good order, in good order. And this isn't my personal philosophy of the church. No, this is written in the Bible. This is what it means to be the church. This is how God moves. And look at how important our relationships with your church members is. Your relationship doesn't just end on this earth. No, it's eternal relationship. If my relationship was simply only here on this earth, then why would I serve you to this point? The reason why I serve you to this point is because our relationship is eternal, right? We are eternally connected. And so, on that day, on that day, you know what my crown will be? My crown will be you guys coming up to me, finding me, and saying that, thank you, Pastor, for doing Zoe ministry. I don't look for rewards in heaven. That will be my reward, is that when you, on that day, when heaven comes, that, that, that you'll come approach me and say, thank you for doing Zoe ministry. Right? On that day, we're all going to meet, right? And so, and so you guys got to be able to see me, right? And so this is actually what you should be, what should be on the back of your mind at all times, is that, is that, is that on heaven is where everything will be brought into account. And so that will cause you to, or that will bring about true humility because you understand that, that ultimately your relationships will last through eternity. So now, but now through today's text, there's actually not much to say. And so let's just, let's just read the text and go to lunch. Amen. So verse 16 to 21 is the first section. And Paul needs to boast and now he's defending his need to boast. 
And so verse 16, he keeps being careful, right? I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. And so he's being careful, he's being wary as he continually preaches, right? And so this is something that he could naturally boast of, but because it's something that he knows that does not please God, he's being wary. He's being wary in that even if he boasts, he boasts in his weakness. And so the charisma that Paul has and the authority that Paul has as the apostle for this day and age, he could just let it freely manifest. But he is someone who knows the heart of God. And because he knows the heart of God, he's, he's not just going to freely boast. And so as I always say, if you have the calling to God, there will be two things in you. Your, your honor, your nobility will rise up to the heavens. But at yet the same time, because you are before God, you will be humble. More than you will be truly, truly humble, right? And so, so when you're praying and you're doing ministry, from all perspectives, it should begin with this heart first that you should not apply anything without these things. It's not because you have this spiritual gift. It's not because you have this testimony or this experience. That should not be the beginning of your ministry. Your ministry, whether you preach, whether you're healing, whether you're praying, everything should go through this process. That my my nobility goes up to the heavens because of who God is and what He has given me. And yet at the same time, because I stand before God and there is a difference between me and God that I am humble beyond measure when this is set up inside of you then you will see a renewing of God's work inside of you constantly every day and so I'm what I'm saying with this boastful confidence I'd not say as the Lord would but as a fool so this is really important. This is actually one secret to why Paul was so glorified. Because if it was me, I might, I might have purposely said that this is God's will for me to boast. But look at Paul's, look at Paul's greatness here. Is that he's honest. He says that I'm not speaking as the Lord would. He understands that all of these words that he's saying is not the revelation from God. So he says that these are not. I don't speak as God, the Lord would. And so from that perspective, that means that he is cutting at his own authority and he is actually allowing for unbelief to, to take, get a foothold. And yet he doesn't care. He's going to be honest at, at, to a fault. And so, because honestly, think about it. Let's say he boasts and then they said that, is this truly the word of the Lord? Then already there, his authority gets cut down. And so these are the things that truly... Testify to the greatness of Paul. Don't just go past these words lightly that, that, and look at yourself. Am I someone who can speak as if God spoke without the truth of God speaking? Right? That's something that you need to see. And this is not possible unless you truly put on the death of Jesus Christ and, and in your life. Because... Because it's when you put on that death of Jesus Christ that you are filled with that trust with God. You have that confidence in God and God has that confidence in you. So there are so many reasons why we need to live by the Spirit. But one of them is is this trust, this confidence growing deeper and deeper. 
And if that confidence is deeper, then there is not many things in this world that can shake your relationship, your confidence in God. And so if you are shaken, then what is that a testimony of? That is a testimony that, that this confidence is not very deep. It's, it's not strong. And so ultimately, the result of putting on that death is having that confidence, having that confidence. And if you have that confidence, then nothing will shake you, right? Nothing will shake you. Even if someone says, I'm going to kill you, you'll say, put me to death. But if you respond in the flesh, then that's going to break down that confidence. Because if you respond into the flesh, what is what are you doing? You are responding out of your self-interest. And so you are building up that self-interest. And so let's look. And so um, I'm not, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. And so no one could call Paul a fool. And yet, why is Paul saying that as a fool? Because who is he comparing himself to? He's not comparing himself to people, but to God. And so before God, of course he is a fool. And so that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Is that ultimately, what can I say to you that, 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 that would um, change you, that would convince you? Only God. And so he's acknowledging these things. He's acknowledging the absolute standard of God. And that's what brings about true repentance. And so ministers, whatever you do, whatever you may say, it's important to understand this absolute standard that is it truly God who is speaking to me is it truly God that is speaking am I speaking truly out of the words that God has given me am I truly working out of the strength that God has given me if you do not know these things then you, then you, that's danger you, then you would not know what to repent of. You would not know what is moving you. You would not know what is motivating you. And so throughout your daily pastoral life, it's important to recognize these things that, that oh, that this was my righteousness. This was my strength. And so you need to be able to acknowledge these things. You need to be able to see this, especially in your relationship with your spouses. And to acknowledge these things. So back in the times, I could not recognize this. But now, we are slowly starting to understand and acknowledging that, ah, this isn't God's will, but my will. This is my strength, right? <laughs> he asked his wife, that, isn't that the case, right? That, that we acknowledge that this is my strength. But she went to the restroom. And then so he said, oh, thank God that she's not here. <laughs> so verse 18. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. So he's talking about his critics. He's talking about his rebels. That they boast according to the flesh. And as I say, do not forget that when it's according to the flesh, it is self-centered. It is for your own benefit. When it says according to the flesh, it's putting into account your circumstances, your experiences, your reality. And all of that is what? All of that is deception. And so I boast according to the flesh. And so this is something that we really need to be sensitive, beloved pastors of our ministry. Throughout Second Corinthians, I continue saying that where does victory begin? It begins by not, respo not um, responding according to the flesh. That that is the first step to victory. 
And the first step to defeat is what is responding in the flesh, no matter what it is, whatever it may be, in your relationship with love, in your relationship with people, in your thoughts, in your speech, everything. If it's done according to the flesh, that is the beginning of defeat. Even if it looks as if it's successful, it is defeat. And so spiritually, we need to really be sensitive to these, to in these regards. And so if you are continually responding in the spirit, even if it may seem like failure at the beginning, what you will see spiritually is that that is you putting the flesh to death. But if you keep responding in the flesh, even if it may seem victorious at first, you are constantly putting the spirit to death. And so that results in defeat. And so it's responding in the spirit that is allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. And so... Remember that the power that empowers you is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what is anointing? Anointing is the, is the Holy Spirit working. And why is anointing, why do you see anointing being weakened in, inside your ministry? It's because that you are responding in the flesh. It's, it's when that anointing flows that your proclamation will be powerful, that your sermons will be filled with life. And so, but when, when you uh, lose that, that lifestyle, that, that, that spiritual lifestyle, um, responding in the spirit, then, then you lose that anointing and that anointing no longer moves freely. And, and, and so you start to look for other things, other things to, 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 to empower you. And so everything you should do, you should be doing in the Holy Spirit. Even when you sleep, you should be going to sleep in the leading of the Holy Spirit. So no matter what you do, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Even in your breathing, is He allowing you to breathe right now? If not, then we do not. Okay, so how grateful are we that we do not have to be conscious of our breathing, right? But acknowledging Him, how grateful we are that, that He allows us to breathe. Right? Because the inability to breathe is torture. Many of you who go through those sicknesses, right? Where you'll all of a sudden wake up because you lack breath. And so we're grateful that God allows us to breathe. Amen. And so in everything, we need to be allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. And if you spend more time in allowing the Holy Spirit leading you, the more that anointing will overflow in your life. Now, of course, in your life, there are times where anointing flows for free, not based on what, how you live. There are times where that anointing flows for free. But there will come a time of limit where, where, you, where you, will, you will face a limitation, where you will face a wall. And so you need the anointing that's, that's welling up from within you. And, and where you can see this free anointing especially are these uh, children who, who have grown up under pastors, right? Because their fathers are pastors, the anointing that they have is just so natural. It's, they don't need to uh, strive and struggle for that anointing. For example, like Pastor Cho, it just, it just moves freely through them. But that's not his, it's his father's. It flows through because of his father. And so if he just enjoys that anointing alone and, and doesn't develop it, then he will come to a limit. 
he will come to a limit. And so that's why it's important that when they are village vigilant and praying and continually uh, allowing that spirit to move forward, then they will grow in their own anointing. And, and actually, that's the reason why he is so um, excellent is that he is very good at imitating. He imitates me exactly. Uh, he's like a carbon copy. And, and so what's important is, is that ultimately that anointing is there. It's there available for them to use, but it's not theirs. And so they need to wrestle with God to make that anointing their own. Right? And so... But now you may think that this is not fair, right? Then if someone has um, lineage, then are they going to be better pastors? No, that's not the case. Because God is always fair. It's, it's always this anointing that is poured out by God. And so the difference is this, is that because it's freely flowing, that person has the responsibility to now make it his through wrestling with God. But if there is no freely flowing anointing, then what does he have to do? He also has to wrestle with God so that that anointing fills him up, right? So either way, it's the same. They're still wrestling with God, living with God, walking with God. It, it, it's just a different color, but it's ultimately it's still the same thing. And so right now the reason why Paul is using this is using this boasting is because of this time of emergency because they were so boasting in their flesh he could not help but strike at their deception by using these weakness, by using the incorrect method of boasting right? and so So let's say that some saint has uh, has a weakness, right? Has a has a fleshly weakness. Then, then the pastor is not in a position to make them realize their weakness, but rather constantly uh, covering over their weakness through making them realize their strength. And so, and so, making them reveal their weakness is actually the last uh, straw. The last. The last resort. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is about growing the fruit, not about removing the weeds. It's not about removing the weeds first. It's about continually growing that the 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 the, the wheat. And so you keep uh, giving them that giving them praise, right? Just as it says in Proverbs that praise raises up kings, right? And so actually that's one of my weaknesses is that I'm not very good at praising people, but that's the method of the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul again here, when he's boasting in his flesh, this is actually his last resort. This should be your last resort, not your primary weapon. Understand? And so, don't standardize seeing the evil. Don't standardize seeing weakness. You should standardize seeing glory. Standardize seeing, seeing the best. 
So this is really important that this is the last resort. That using poison is the last resort, right? So verse 19. And so uh, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. And so look, look at him mocking them. This is a last resort. This is not something that Paul likes to do. But he's currently mocking them, right? Mocking them that that uh, you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. So they should have normally been wise because of the spirit that they received, right? But in receiving that flesh, they have become fools, right? Because the church of God fundamentally has the wisdom of God. And if you are a child of God, how much that wisdom makes man is manifested, it doesn't matter. What you should initially receive is that you have the wisdom of God. How wise are you? That you have the wisdom to teach angels, right? And that wisdom is what is revelation. And so primarily what you have, what you possess is that wisdom because the logos, the word of God is inside of you. And now revelation is how that is made manifest. So basically he's saying to them that they are fools for bearing with the wisdom of the world, thinking that the wisdom of the world means something. It actually when it means nothing. So verse 20. Verse 20. For you bear it if someone, the someone is talking about the critics, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. And so if you minister in the flesh, this is the inevitable result. So I used to say that as I was repenting, that I was that my ministry was devouring ministry. And it's not that I was purposely trying to devour them, but if I minister in the flesh, then I can't help but naturally devour them. That's what it's talking about. If you live by the flesh, you devour those who are under you, who are weaker than you, right? And so look at them. If you live by the flesh, what do they do? They make slaves of you. So if you are a pastor in the flesh, then the best your church members can be is survival is 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 um, a source of survival for you which become which means that they become slaves to you and that's how sensitive this pastoral ministry is what flows out of you is going to determine what nourishes your church members is it going to be survival instinct or is it going to be the spirit of life and so that's why you need to be sensitive to your holiness your holiness is something that is important. And so if a pastor is fleshly, then of course this, this spirit of slavery is going to flow. And so, or, or uh, that uh, you bear it if they devour you. And so this is again talking about materials becoming a method, means to an end, right? And so... So you devour them. And so above all else, you need to be spiritual, not fleshly. If you are fleshly, you're going to devour your saints, your church members. And so really, as I opened my eyes, I could see that I was devouring them. I was trying to devour them. And so, you know, after uh, preaching, 
I would get stressed, right? And after stressed, what would I, how would I, um, how would I unravel that stress? Is I would take my son and we would watch historical drama every Sunday, right? And, and, be, and through that, I, I, I would relieve my stress and that caused me to devour my son spiritually. So when I opened my eyes, I saw that I was living in the flesh, not spirit. So it's the same to you. Are you living in the flesh? Whether you are aware it or not, you are devouring the sheep. And so as you open your eyes, you all of a sudden see that there's no sheep around you. That's what happens. That is the tragedy. So let's continue. I'm not talking about numbers, okay? I'm not talking about numbers. Okay, if you work in the spirit, it's not about the numbers, but are your sheep being healthy? Are they healthy? And so even if the numbers are all, there are many numbers, if they are weak and are going to die the next day, then does it matter? And so, if you look at shepherds in Israel, if in, for their survival, if they only have 10 sheep, that is more than enough, right? Because the sheep can provide not only meat, but wool and also milk, right? And so a family can survive off of 10 sheep. So as a pastor, even if you have healthy 10 sheep, you will survive, right? And so pastoral ministry, it's not about lots of numbers, but having healthy sheep. And so if you want to raise healthy sheep, you need to be what? You need to be holy, amen? And then so what takes advantage of you? And so what is taking advantage? You are t when you take advantage, you are robbing them of their dignity as children of God. So remember, as pastors, you, when you know the dignity that you have and you reign over that with that dignity, then 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 the, your saints will be filled with um, confidence and knowing who they are as the children of God. And so remember that this this identity of them being children of God and the dignity that comes with that identity is the principle that you should that should be reigning in your church. And so it begins by the pastor living in spirit. And then through that, uh, it flows to all the saints in the church. And so you need to instill that confidence in them that they do not live by the world, they do not live by the flesh. So if your methodology of life enjoys and values the things of the world, and yet you're preaching that, that your riches come from God, that is dangerous, right? And so it needs to begin with you first. There should be no compromise with you first, right? That, that you need to first realize that God called me and that God is providing and He is my provision. And so from there, out of that outpouring, out of that outflow, that's where you can raise your sheep.
So, uh, and because that outflows from me understanding that the world does not provide my livelihood, then I can always at any time demand my sheep to quit their jobs. Why? Because, because I know that that's not what's going to give them their life. Many times you're, the members of your church will make this excuse that wouldn't it be better for me to work in this job that gives me lots of money so that I can offer and, and help the church out? But that's just an excuse. What you should say is that, 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 that you be polluting yourself through this job, being a slave to the world, is, is much suffer, uh, we suffer much more loss from that than you providing money for offering. So really, you need to be able to emphasize holiness and put the priority on holiness. Because glory comes from holiness, not from money. And so this is something that you should not compromise with. And so pastors, that's why it's important for you to know the source of your dignity. You need to know the source of your glory. Because if you do not know that, then you cannot have this absolute standard. And so if you live in this glory, if you live in this dignity, then your pastoral ministry will not be complicated. It will be simple. You will know what, what to say and where to put the standard. And you will not be conflicted in that standard. Right, there would be there would be people who would come to me, Pastor, I want to go to this conference, but I have to work. What should I do about my work? Then I would it's simple for me. I'd say, hey, then you know, uh, call in or, or take a vacation. I've already used all my vacation days. What should I do, Pastor? Then quit. It's that simple for me. Right? There is no reason to complicate these things. No reason to waste my energy to the world. Because God who reigns over the entire universe is here. And so why, what, what need is there to be complicated? What need is there to complicate these things? And so really, to us, Jesus alone, all we need is Jesus. If you... If you sub subjectify Jesus and relative, uh, make him relative, then you will not see the victory of the Spirit. Right? As Jesus said in the Gospel, how can Belial go hand in hand with the Spirit? How can light go with darkness? This is made possible when you have that confidence in your identity and you... Uh, create this absolute standard for your saints. If you keep compromising with that standard, then then you will you will constantly be retreating, constantly fall back. It's out of that confidence in in who you are and that absolute standard. Then out of that outflow, you will pour out that holiness to your members. And so. And so, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face, 
So again, this is this fleshly boasting. And so if you live in the flesh, what are you going to do? You will not be able to believe in your dignity. And that's why you put on airs. You can't help but put on airs. And so above all else, you should live by the Spirit. Amen? Live according to the Spirit. Believing in His kingly dominion in His kingly reign. Amen? And so as long as you have this in your church, then the church is, uh, the battle is already won. Everything else is just up to individual talents and callings of that church. So let's move on. Verse 21, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. Again, he is mocking them. Mocking them. As it may appear weak, but, he is, but his ministry is a ministry of what is a ministry of the cross. And so to him, his weakness is his boast. So Paul is not in a ministry of praising strength, of praising worldly glory. In the world, it may appear poor. To the world, it may appear as if that they are weak. But this is the life of the cross that, that Paul boasts in. And that's why he says, I will boast in my weakness. And so basically, how is he mocking them? To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. Basically, what he's saying is that you were ashamed of my ministry, right? You were ashamed of the cross. But Paul is not ashamed, right? He has no regret to how he's ministering. Because he knows that this is the model of the life of Christ on this earth, is that boasting in weakness. And so he came to this earth to be our model. And so if you're ashamed of this thing, then what are you doing? You are denying his life. And so what is he, what is he a model of? He is a model of our salvation. He is a model of our life. And he is our model of our glory, right? His, our, our model of victory, right? And so, so these three things, because Paul received these three, three things correctly, he has no compromise regarding these things. And so, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. So if you minister in the flesh, then cross becomes meaningless to you. And right, that's why Paul in Philippians, in Galatians, after AD 56, he always talks about the cross, talks about the cross. As it says in Philippians 3, that I know Jesus and I know his resurrection in order to that I will um, uh, uh, die with Jesus on the cross to know that I want to oh, what's the, what was the verse again uh, but but you know like in, to know him in his death and resurrection that's what it is to know him in his death and resurrection And then so now he starts to boast in verse 22. 
until chapter 12, verse 10, he boasts. But let's look only up until the end of chapter 11. So, and then he's going to boast in chapter 12, which is where he starts talking about how he went up to the third heaven, right? But today, let's get to verse uh, 33. And so he starts to boast. And what does he boast of? He boasts of his tradition. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. So this is talking about how he is a chosen people. He is the elect. He is the covenantal. He has the covenant of Abraham. And so these critics, these, these false prophets, they came from Jerusalem and they came with this letter of recommendation. And so they are all Jews, right, in the flesh. They are Jews and they have this Jewish superiority in them. They've met with Jesus. And so they talk about the superiority of Jesus. And so their, their gospel is one of victory, right? It's a, victor, it's a gospel of positivity. And so they confirm their victory in themselves. They confirm their glory in themselves. They find their nobility in themselves. That's the, that's the danger of this victorious uh, gospel. And so any gospel that goes without the cross is fake, is false. We must remember that. And so, and so that's why Paul's confession that I, if I were to boast, I boast in the cross. That is such an important confession to make. Now, of course, through the cross, we have received salvation. But once we receive salvation, what does the cross become? It doesn't just become a place of death, but it becomes a place of nobility, of glory, of, of victory, right? And so no longer is the cross simply a tool to deal with our sins, but now it is a symbol of our victory. It is um, representative of our, of our nobility, right? And so glory without the cross is all false. Glory without the cross is all worldliness, it's flesh. So if you look at it from the perspective of the tabernacle, without the tabernacle being sprinkled with the blood, the tabernacle is, is not pure, it's not holy, it's not clean. It's once that tabernacle has been sprinkled with the blood that it is holy, that it is sanctified to the Lord. And so in the same way, the cross, everything must go through the cross for that glory to be there. Amen? And so, a cross isn't just a simple. It is truly a practical life for us to have holiness. Amen? And so the cross is, is a reality. It must be embodied in you. It's not just simply a simple. We need to carry our cross, right? We need to carry the cross. So let us carry our crosses. And if you... And so, all of these beautiful identities of being an Israelite, the problem is, is because it doesn't go through the cross, that nobility becomes fleshly nobility, right? As it says in Romans 3, Paul says, what advantage is there of being a Jew? What advantage is there of, of having that blood? He says that to them, 
was given the word of God. To them was given the gospel. And so their nobility doesn't come from their blood, doesn't come from their ancestry, but it comes from the fact that they received the word of God. And because they received the word of God, though they could not deal with sin, they could postpone sin, right? That was their privilege. And so this set them apart from the Gentiles. Gentiles could not even pass over sin. But, and so that's where their advantage came from. And so they had this privileged position and they were God's vessel to bless the world. And that was expanded through the ministry of, of Christ. And so when they receive the, the new covenant, then, then of course there is more, so many advantages of being a Hebrew. So just as the Israelites are going through these 2,000 years of suffering and persecution to get rid of the flesh, we also, though spiritually, we also are going through suffering to get rid of the flesh as well. And so let's continue. Uh, verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. And so he's continually attacking them up to verse 29, right? Right, look at look at Paul's life. He has been completely torn apart, right? Uh, throughout this throughout this testimony, right? With far greater life, labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. And so if you look at the Bible, the Bible is a record of people who have been cursed, isn't it? Right? You can you can say that in a way. Because as God worked on this earth, those who have received the glory of God they are not going to live a life that Babylon acknowledges, that Babylon is envious of. It will not happen. That will not come to pass. In the Gospel of Luke, you see this. It's that you are fighting against... You are fighting against the enemy nation and... And so you need to, as the Gospel of Luke says, you need to, um, you need to calculate the cost. You need to count the cost. And so if you can win that fight, then you fight. If not, then you retreat, right? And so as a pastor, you need to understand that, that you are not going to live a life that the world is envious of. You are not going to live a life that Babylon praises. And so... Now, that doesn't mean God's not going to give you riches, that God's not going to give you prosperity. But ultimately, that is not the, that is not the principle. It is not, the, it is not what God, is determinant of God's, of God's blessing. It is God's kingdom that, that, is, that, is what we are, that is our goal, that is what we are after, not the riches of this world. Amen? And so you should count the cost. Because look at all this persecution, all this suffering that Pauls go through. And honestly, like I look at my 30 years of, of pastoral ministry, and, and honestly, like of course it doesn't compare to Paul, but but every time that I put on I carried the cross, what would result of carrying that cross wasn't up to me. 
Most of the time, suffering came. Most of the time, suffering came. Now, at times, there were victory. There were times where comfort came. But ultimately, it wasn't up to me. It was God who determined what would happen. And so in your pastoral ministry, it's not about calculating what is going to be beneficial to you, what is going to be easier to you. No, you don't need to even pray for those things. No, just all you have to pray is deny the flesh and carry the death of Jesus Christ in your flesh. Then, then God will take responsibility for everything else. And so all you have to do consider is your free will to determine whether you're going to choose the flesh or the spirit. And so when you choose the spirit and let's say suffering comes, then that suffering, that loss actually becomes gain. Why? Because you did not respond in the flesh. And so in your lives, look at how many times God tried to humble you, but you resisted his attempts. That God wants you to be weak so that you rely on Him, but you keep trying out of your worship of Babylon, trying to strengthen yourselves, trying to empower yourselves. And that has what led you to this point. That all, it's because of my wife, it's because of this, it's because of that, that my church is not going. No, that's all a lie. You do not believe that weakness is your strength. And instead of trying to be weak, you keep trying to be strong. That is the problem. Remember, spirituality is about constantly being weak, weakening yourself, weakening yourself, and relying on God. And so, why is Paul able to stand all the time? Why is he able to get back up, pick himself back up? It's not because of his strength. It's because he did not live himself. He did not live by his flesh. That glorious king, that noble king of all kings, giving everything up of the flesh and letting him live for me, then you can not lose sight of that glory. And so when you do not respond in the flesh, you will see these things. And so whatever happens in your life, that ah, His glory, His glory is taking control. And this is Paul's um, confession of his faith. And so just because your circumstances change a little bit, cause it for the worse a little bit, you fall into despair? No. That, that, means, you, that is, means you are living by the flesh. Your, your fleshly conditions cannot affect whether you are going to the, uh, your, your direction towards the goal or not. Whether you can run the race or not. Um, now maybe your fleshly weaknesses can bring about a storm. But remember, when storm comes, the boat moves faster. And so... Actually, those sufferings made Paul who he was, that it helped him run towards the goal. And so you need to see, you need to be able to see that in those circumstances, what helped you overcome it? What helped you go through it? What helped you pass through it? Was it your flesh or was it the spirit? And so the apostles, 
It's not about what he can do. That's not what he cares about. Right? Because I live by the strength of him who empowers me, and through him I can do all things. And so it's not about what I can do. It's not about how far I've come. It's not about who I know. Money, relationships, none of those things affects Paul. What is Paul? Is that God alone, Jesus alone. And so this confession needs to come from your lips. And pray to Jesus to take responsibility for this confession. I make this confession in faith, but Lord, you take responsibility for that. And until that day that I stand before you, receive my commitment, receive my devotion, and let that commitment and devotion to grow in you. You don't need to speak beautiful words before men, but before God, we need to be able to make confessions. We need to make declarations that move the hearts of God. So during Koryo, Sohi said, Sohi said, that through uh, one or through words, one word, my, my, my. okay, that, 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 that through a word, one word will forgive a great debt, right? And that, that is how powerful the word is. So, so let us make that kind of beautiful confession to God. And then, so now let's move on to verses 28 to 33. Let's hurry up and finish. Right, we need to finish quickly, yes? Verse 28. Really, this isn't a difficult thing. You need to understand that, that this is not a difficult thing. Just, it's, it's a matter of one moment, really. It's just this moment. Are you choosing the flesh or the spirit? Are you respond if you keep responding in the flesh and keep building that up, then then you will cannot live like Paul. If you keep living in this relationship that has nothing to do with God, then, then you'll continue going that way. And so God is not asking for the impossible. God is not demanding the impossible from you. He has made the impossible possible, and all you have to do is believe. And so what do you believe? What will you choose? Will you choose faith, or will you choose yourself? So, God is not asking you to do something that is impossible for you. All He's saying is, look to me. Look to me. So you need to have this confidence. Look to the serpent, then you will live. Look up at the bronze serpent and you will live. Okay, why, why do you not look up to the bronze serpent? Okay, verse 28. 
And apart from other things, there's daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so this daily pressure that comes from his, what? His authority as a spiritual father. And so should we have anxiety or not? You don't need to be anxious. Remember, anxious doesn't come from living in God. But so we are not anxious because anxiety doesn't come from God. But we need to be anxious in the Lord. And what is that? That is this anxiety that comes from from this concern you have for the church of God. How we are going to grow the church. How we are going to you're not worried about how to gather more people. You're not worried about the monies, the finances of the church, but rather, how is the church going to grow in holiness? How am I going to help the church grow in perfection? And so it's about holiness. It's about perfection. Why? Why? Because what God has poured out upon us, remember, the greatest privilege He has given us is this, is that be holy for, uh, for the Lord your God is holy. And so because this holiness is the greatest nobility that we have, this holiness is the only thing that we need to give our life for. Because this was the thing that He came to give us, right? And so that's the only thing that we need to be concerned with is this holiness, not about how much money the saints have, not about how successful they are on this earth, but their holiness. Pastors are so concerned with such pointless things, that's why they find themselves to be anxious over, over things that don't matter. The one thing that should be on our mind is will God accept our church as the pure bride? That should be the only thing that influences you. That should be the only thing that you should be concerned about is that can you bring your church to God on that day as the pure bride? Will your heart not be filled with longing for this day if you have this confidence? What are you going to live with? What do you want to live for? It's because of the influence of the standards of the world that, that, that the church has lost its way. And so, brothers, this is something that you and I have to repent deeply of. And then so, who is weak and I am not weak? So this is talking about... So because Paul concerned is with weakness or with, with holiness, he is not concerned with their survival instinct. He is not concerned with their money. And so that's why he says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Those who are falling over sin, of course he will be indignant over this. Why? Because they are unable to maintain that holiness. Because they are unable to protect their holiness. To Paul, there is no compromise when it comes to holiness. 
And so if you are anxious over your church members for different reasons, then repent, pastors. Because if, if it is a concern over their holiness, then be concerned with that. But if it's not, you should not be anxious over those things. If lots of money causes them to lose holiness, then you should pray to God to take away their money. Really, that's why I've kicked many church members out. That Lord, I told him, I prayed that he would remo- that you would take away his money, but his money wasn't getting lost, and and yet his business was getting better and better. And so, what could I do if he's not getting holier? Then I need to kick him out. I used to ask him. I used to ask him. Right? He would he would tithe like um, ten thousand dollars, and I would be like. I would be like, God's not blessing you, and yet why is your business getting bigger? Then this is not a blessing, ultimately. He doesn't pray, and yet, and yet God is making his business successful. Then, then that is not God. And so you need to uh, make the standard of Jesus' holiness absolute. And, and pastors, my testimony is this. That I'm not saying this because I have the freedom to do so. No, even when I started this church, this was my only standard. This was my only principle. When holiness reigns in the temple, are you going to compromise with that holiness in order to, in order to uh, go to glory? No, that's not possible. And so let's continue. Verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And so, he's, remember, as I said, that he's not boasting in the weakness itself. But, remember, all these weaknesses that Paul has been speaking of, when it comes to weakness, right, and suffering, persecution, poverty, all of these things are under one umbrella. And so what he's talking about is darkness, right? Darkness. So how are we going to deal with this darkness? That's what he's talking about is that these, the, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And so these weaknesses equals my victory. Okay, man responds to these weaknesses, right? They can't help but respond, right? For example, if you are hungry, you're going to eat, right? Because that's the reality, right? That's how you respond. And then so the reality is, is this, is that, is that there are weaknesses. But what Paul is confessing here is that the, these issues of reality cannot influence a man of God who is under the kingdom of heaven. That is his confession here. And so again, weakness. What is weakness? Remember, this isn't Paul's weakness, but rather the weakness that the world defines Paul by. That he has no place to stay. He has no money. He has no food. And so Babylon considers that weakness. Paul does not consider that weakness. He doesn't look at it as weakness itself. And so if you keep living by the standards of the world, then you're going to constantly be defined and concerned and anxious over so many different kinds of weaknesses. So maybe some of you, as you compare yourselves with me, you feel like you are weak. You should not compare yourself to me. I am me and you are you. Your calling is there. My calling is here. That's the only difference. That is not going to determine your nobility, your dignity. Your difference between with me is not, your, is not a difference of nobility or dignity. Don't compare yourself to people, okay? Look, 
ultimately, whether it's suffering, persecution, whatever it may be, why is Paul saying that weakness, I will boast of my weakness and victory is in my weakness? And so it's not simply that weakness doesn't influence him, but weakness becomes his strength. It's putting on the death of Jesus Christ in his life, in his body. And so, look at Jesus Christ. He came to this earth knowing who he was as the Son of God. But he did not use his power and authority as the Son of God, right? He lived fully as man. And so for this reason, what happened? He had to face the reality of man, which is weakness, right? That is the reality of man, which is that it was possible for him to sin. And in his reality of his life, there are many reasons why he has to live by the flesh, right? But so Jesus came in the flesh and he lived in the reality of that weakness of the flesh. But he didn't live by that weakness, the reality. Why? Because honestly, while he was on this earth in his flesh, he probably could have made something from, of himself, but he didn't. He didn't. And that's the focus that we need to see. And so because he didn't, what did he do? He lived by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit became his power. The Holy Spirit gave him his strength. And the Holy Spirit allowed him to live in that authority and power of God and gave him that victory. And so... And so he was lived, lived a life that did not have to live by the reality of that flesh, the reality of the weakness of that flesh. And so, and so with this reality, the reason why he didn't have to live by that reality because he lived in the Holy Spirit, all that strength was sealed through the cross when he died on that cross. And so when we receive that cross, everything that he did as he lived on this earth that, that potential, the power, all of that, 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 that uh, source is, is circulating inside of me. And so that's why you can live as Jesus Christ did. And so even though you are human, you are no longer under the area of influence of the reality of the weakness of your flesh. You give up on that. That's what it means to put on the death of Jesus Christ in your flesh. So this is what? This is a life that does not respond to the flesh. No matter what weaknesses it may be according to the world, no matter what suffering may come, no matter what persecution may come, that when the flesh responds inside of you, instead of responding to the flesh, the Holy Spirit takes control. That is what Paul is talking about as he says here, that I will boast of the things to show my weakness. Because he knows that the life he lives is not a life of this earth, but a life that comes from above. A life that comes from outside this universe. And so the power, the strength, the drive that moves his life, it all is being moved in, 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 from above. And, and so that's why he says that I will boast in the things that show my weakness. And so my victory is in my weakness. My strength is in my weakness. This is all something that you... No, intuitively, I mean, there may be a little bit of difficulty because I'm unraveling it theologically, but, but ultimately, this is something that you should know intuitively. But there are times where this becomes a difficulty, 
But now let us be embody this, that we do not respond in the flesh, but letting his life radiate forth from me to work in me and that, that he would be my motivation, that he would be my purpose, that he would be my drive. So what is Paul continually saying? He's continually saying that my weakness is my strength, my weakness is my strength. And because he keeps laying down his flesh, oh, sorry. Uh, he, because he keeps letting go of his flesh, he is light, he is unburdened. So receive this in faith, brothers. You need to receive this in faith. Don't try to make it of yourself. Just receive it in faith. So what do you need to realize right now? That, ah, victory is responding in the spirit, not in the flesh. That inside of me, all the potential for this has already been planted inside of me. And so what has been implanted into you through the word, the Holy Spirit, and the blood, it's already inside of you. All of those things are inside of you. And so the power and authority that allowed Jesus Christ to be victorious, even though he was in the flesh, that's all inside of you, right? That is the doctrine of the image of God, right? The doctrine of the image of God. And so may this victory uh, flow in you. May this victory fall upon you. And it's because you do not live by this. That's why you keep living by what you have, living by your experiences. And that's why your life is so obvious. That's why you don't have that joy of victory. That's why you don't have the joy of the Lord inside of you. That, ah, this is the joy that you have given me, the victory that you have given me. Why are you able to rejoice in that? Because you understand that this is not something that you could have done on your own. And so as a man of God, if you live by the Spirit of God, you should always be filled with this joy of victory. And so what is that, right? As it says in, in Philippians, is that, uh, that the enemy, disarming the weapons of the enemy and always rejoicing in a parade of victory before the Lord. Amen? And so this is the end of this sermon almost. And so, and so the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. So I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And so every moment by moment, confess, make this confession that my victory is in my weakness. My victory is in my weakness. You understand the mechanism behind this. Why is my weakness my victory? It's not because of that weakness in itself, but rather that weakness is being transformed to victory through the cross being applied in my life. Amen. And so, and so seal this inside of me. So seal it in your brain that my victory is in my weakness. My victory is in my weakness. Amen. And so all the weaknesses of the reality of our flesh is always, always, always overcome by the death of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so whether I lack money, whether I, uh, whether I lack money, whether I have uh, persecutions, whether I have whatever weaknesses I may have, that, that my victory comes from this, this cross. And so we can trample the devil. We can trample demons because they have nothing to hold over us. They have nothing to lord over us. Amen. And so... 
And so, like the, like the blessing that Abraham was received in Genesis, that you will possess the gates of your enemy, right? The victory, victory that is given to you. And so, to the children of the kingdom of God, you should be characterized by that victory because defeat has nothing to do with you. And so, even if they define weakness to you, it's okay. That weakness is my victory. That weakness is my victory. And so the God who has that perfect victory is who is your father, right? He is your father. And so should you feel shame at anything? No. And let's say that there is a really, really ugly king. But no matter how ugly he may be, will his subjects make fun of his ugliness? No, all the women of that kingdom will line up to get married to that king no matter how ugly he is, right? How about Swaziland? Do all the women get lined up to marry the king even though he's that ugly? Really, this needs to uh, fill you up with joy, with inspiration that we do not live by what Babylon gives. Nothing that Babylon can give or take away from me will result in my defeat in my, in, and will never take away at my dignity, will never rob me of my life. Hallelujah. Victory! Victory, the greatest victory. And so, let's finish here. And so, because Paul speaks of this weakness, he, he has to speak of things that are shameful, right? But, and, but, but, and so, I would not speak of these things, but Paul reveals these things that were kind of shameful, right? As in verse 32, right? At Damascus, the governor, or in so verse 31 first, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He was blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. And so when he said, he's saying that he's not lying when he talks about my victory is in my weakness. And so he speaks of some, uh, an example of this, right? At verse 32, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands. So look at this. This is what happened at Damascus. This is actually something that's shameful, right? In this suffering, in this fear, as he was preaching, he had to run away, right? This is something that's shameful. And yet in that time, as he's revealing this weakness, what is he showing? He's showing that even in this weakness, he has victory. Even in that weakness, even in that shame, God changes it to victory. And so all your shame, all your suffering in Christ, it is perfectly being transformed to your glory and so any inferiority you may feel any shame you may feel in Christ all of those things is what is victory is victory and so in your life all the weaknesses that you may have all the shame you may have all the inferiority you may have felt all of those things in Christ is now your standard of victory is now your um, ingredient to victory, amen? It's your victory, it's your ingredient to dignity, amen? And so let us pray.